1: Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails, Vanessa Russell.
2: Welcome to Love Never Fails Radio. We are in the studio today with Jenna McKay. Um, What an awesome time we're going to have together. She is a survivor of human trafficking with an incredible life story that she now shares through advocacy groups uh, and throughout the U.S. Um, McKay's extraordinary journey offers hope and inspires others through education and training and she trains hospital staff law enforcement other professionals how to identify sex trafficking and labor trafficking and respond to victims with victim-centered care um and she's also done quite a few um uh, keynote um speeches and really left a notable impression amongst the audiences, um, even including the United Nations. And we had a, a, a chairperson for the United Nations a couple of weeks ago. And here we have Jenna, who's just going to tell us about all the wonderful things she's been doing and specifically her advocacy training model and, um, so th- and also her upcoming book. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, but thank you so much, Jenna, for being on the show. We're, we're grateful to have you. Yeah,
3: thank you so much for having me. Yeah.
2: So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you, you've, you've obviously come from uh, surviving some horrendous experiences and you've been able to take that and, and bring that forth in a way that is providing education and insight for so many different groups. And I want to just start off with, um, you know, asking you, you know, that takes some courage that takes some strength. Um, You know, how, where did that come from and how is it that, you know, you've you've arrived at you find yourself arriving at this place where you're now serving um, people that have gone through similar experiences?
3: You know, to tell you the truth, when I look back on, you know, I survived human trafficking 14 years ago. And I think that for me, if I had started to try and do this work right after, or even just a couple years after, I wouldn't have been ready. Um, I really needed to do a lot of the work and healing. Um, and uh, it was really quite the journey to get here. Um, and it wasn't until about four years ago that I, um, you know, decided to dedicate myself to this and figure out, how I wanted to be a part of it. And I met um, the first human trafficking survivor I ever met was Carissa Phelps. Mm. And um, when I heard her speak and learned about her trainings, I was like, that's what I want to do. So mm. um, just started to get involved and meet more survivors and um, learn, you know, when, when we're talking about, Training medical staff and law enforcement. I'm like, yes, those are the people that failed me when I was a victim and didn't uh, step in. And if they had been trained, they would have recognized me for sure. I identified me. So it felt really important and where I could make a real impact. Wow, that is incredible. And Um, You know, so oftentimes
2: when we are abused or, you know, probably inadvertently abused by people, we think, you know what, screw them. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be anywhere near those people. You know, uh, they don't care about us. And you come to your own sort of preconceived notions about things. But for you to come to a place where you're like, if they had known what they were seeing, right? So you're giving people the benefit of the doubt. If they had known what they were seeing, they would have responded. And that is such a place I think of healing and of, um, you know, of of moving past the pain. And it's no surprise to me that you came in contact with Carissa Phelps because that is the way she rolls. And um, another person whose life has been transformed by her story. And now your life is transforming and inspiring others. So, yay, all around, all around. Um, And so. Just thinking a little bit about, you know, how long were you in the life?
3: Um, It was close to a year. Um, Close to a year, okay. Yeah, and I was 18. He kind of lured me out of high school. Um, He wasn't already a trafficker, though. That was something that he he learned through a lot of the criminal activity he was involved in. And Mm. um, he also married me. So um, we were married when he was trafficking me. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, not somebody who you would picture to become a victim of trafficking. I was on my way to play college volleyball and had been training for that for a lot of years. And, uh, I met him in my private school and he wasn't somebody who, you know, he came from a nice family. So, um, and he didn't take me anywhere. He took me, we were 15 minutes from my school and my home, uh, you know, in an apartment in a really safe place um, good community. So it's wow. really everywhere and it can really happen to anyone. Wow.
2: Well, I, you know, I'm so grateful that you're sharing your story. I have another young lady who has this very similar experience, um, who does some advocacy for us. And I think it's so important that you guys share your story because there are some stereotypes and some misnomers about the kinds of people that are ensnared and the tactics that are used. And also there's just like this, this, um, concept of like this big scary pimp that has like this big pimp hat and he's wearing like animal print clothes and a big gold chain. And he comes up on you, you know, the stereotype and says, you know, whatever it's like, it's not that obvious folks. It is This is, uh, you know, a a very um, tricky um, uh, situation where I've actually seen girls who were recruiting their exploiters. I've seen girls that go and get young men that are 19 years old or 20 and they say, "I I just need somebody to look out for me while I'm doing this. And they become pimps out of that. And then they continue on with it and become notorious with it because it just it kills the soul doing stuff like that. And so I've seen every scenario. So I just really think it's great that you're shedding light on here. You were about to get a volleyball scholarship in a nice area. And this was your boyfriend, right? This was someone who you you loved. But what were the red flags, Jenna?
3: Yeah. So um I, this is why I think it's so important for education about trafficking to be in school and not just trafficking, but the, um, domestic violence. Like I didn't even my realize I was a domestic violence mm-hmm. victim because my idea of it was somebody that hits me and he wasn't hitting me, but there was really? definitely other things that were happening. But, um, one of the biggest things was he, I, um, he took me to Tijuana and had me branded, And Mm -hmm. while it was a traumatic experience, while I didn't want it and it was very forced on me, um, I did not realize that that was something that was what traffickers do. I didn't realize that that what was to come after that. Um, And he didn't, um, you know, he really started uh, separating me from my support system and family, even though I was physically close to them. um, You know, he went to extreme lengths to um, keep them from me so much. So where my dad was coming, I was working normal jobs during the day and he kept coming to my jobs to check on me. So my trafficker got a restraining order against him. So, um, wow. against your dad. I, what's that? Your trafficker got in a restraining order
2: against your dad. Yeah. for trying to check on you. Correct. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. To keep him from me. Um, And um, by the by the night, by the time the first night came around that I was trafficked, um, you know, I had been arrested and the police officer that arrested me, um, he was putting handcuffs on me and he looked at my trafficker who was there and he said, why would you want to be with a girl like her? And that for me was enough to not trust law enforcement that put so much shame on me. I was so embarrassed, you know, sitting in that jail cell. It felt like Every time I thought it couldn't get worse, it did. That felt like it was going to be my lowest point. Um, And so by the time that first night being trafficked came around, I didn't think I could call home. I didn't think I could call 911. I had no idea what my options were and what resources were out there. And that was really him, you know, uh, setting it up that way. He knew that by the time that first night came.
2: And how long were you going out with him? Well, we're going to have to take a break. See, I'm getting I'm getting uh, lost in this conversation. So let's take a break, and I want to talk a little bit about just going back to sort of the 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 recruiting. You know, what, how, how he targeted you, and the things that he said to you, and you know, uh, even before it was sort of. Like even before he hooked you, how did he recruit you and groom you? I'd like to touch on that. So we'll come right back and get some more information about this. And thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: For more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. That's loveneverfailsus.com.
0: We'll be right back with more right after these messages.
1: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again are in the studio today with Jenna McKay, who is a survivor of human trafficking, with an incredible story about how she herself was trafficked and um, maybe not from the tr- stereotypical or traditional uh, setting, and then how she uses that to provide education to law enforcement and to the, uh, the um, health community uh, so that they, they're equipped to uh, intervene on behalf of other victims today. And so, Jenna, we were just talking about a horrible experience uh, in the last segment where when you came into contact with law enforcement your exploiter, who would, didn't seem like the traditional exploiter either, um, uh, was told, you know, I don't know why you would want to be with a girl like this. And here, he was the one who branded you and introduced you to trafficking. And it was just like very degrading and upsetting for you. And it, it was it, it was hard to hear right, is what I gathered right from from you. Yeah. So I'm so sorry that happened. And um, just horrible. And but again, you know, your your words at the beginning, which is that had he known what he was looking at, he might have had a different reaction. Had he been educated, he might have had a different reaction. And so going back to that. Right. So you were in school with this this young man. And and so tell me, um when did you, you know, you started to be trafficked at 18 and it was for a year. So you were 17-ish, 16, 17-ish, right? When this first happened. How old was he? Um, he was
3: just one year older than me. And okay. we met in high school. And I don't think that he knew of trafficking, you know, when he was in high school. I think once he graduated and uh, started hanging out with, um People that were doing criminal activity and that he got involved in, he started to learn of it. Um, And uh, but even before that, he really kind of lured me out of high school. I don't know how traffickers do. He, you know, I was struggling at home. My parents were separating, and that was really difficult for me. And I didn't feel like I had any good support while I was trying to navigate um, getting the recruitment process for, for college and sports. And um, you know, so he really kind of just painted this picture for me that life would be great with him and his mom had a successful business and she got her GED and So he told me that he said, you know, I'll help you. You can get your GED and come live with me and work and you don't have to deal with all of that stress at home. And I took it. And when I dropped out of high school and didn't go on with my plans to play college sports, I really was hurt that none of my teachers and my principals and my coaches and weight trainers that had known me my whole life um, weren't reaching out to me. And it was like this assumption that I was this runaway kid And like that they only cared when I was a successful kid. And when I started making bad choices, they didn't seem to want to be around me. And so that really actually angered me and made me feel rebellious and pushed me more to him when I really didn't want to. I really wanted to go with my dreams and play sports. So um, and then once I moved in with him, I felt stuck and like I couldn't go back, that there was no going back, that whatever life is with him is what I was stuck with. And what about your parents? What would your dad think of that? Um, I don't, you know, at that time, you know, my mom had already left my dad. So I was living with my mom and my grandma. And it just kind of seemed that year in particular, my two big sisters and my mom and dad were really all dealing with a lot. Um, yeah. There were some well, deaths strange. in the family. There was mm-hmm. that separation. Um, my, one of my sisters was pregnant. Like one was getting married. So everybody had so much going on in their own lives that I kind of slid through the cracks and um i know they weren't happy with him they didn't like him um they weren't at the wedding but um he uh they definitely didn't know i was being trafficked yeah so it's you know coming from their
2: side you know they're like she's with this guy don't like him And, you know, you know how kids are, they're, you know, they're just going to do what they're going to do. And she doesn't realize what a big opportunity she's missing out on, but, oh, you know, you know, let's let her go. Let's let her do her thing. Right. That's kind of, they didn't realize the seriousness of what was going on. Right. So, so tell me, were there things that now knowing what, you know, that would have like, were there moments there with your family where it's like, if they... Now that they're educated, if they were to do this again, they would go, this is it.
3: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've had talks um, with my mom and my sisters, you know, where they're like, if we had known that that's what was going on, we would have been there in a heartbeat. And uh, we really didn't know how to handle the situation. And you were 18. And, um, you know, and, and my trafficker, like, I mean, there was a moment halfway through That year where he looked at me and we were, you know, except for the last time I was always sold in the apartment and he opened the front door to the apartment and he said, leave Jenna, Mm -hmm. if you don't want to be here so bad, if you hate me and hate this so much, then go. And I started to walk out the front door and I turned around, I stood there and I went where, Mm -hmm. like I didn't know where to go and I walked right back in. And, you know, we asked survivors, you know, why didn't you leave and why didn't you run? And it's like, my my biggest thing was that I didn't know where I could go. And he did such yeah. a good job at separating me from any support system. And I really would, had no education on what my options were and didn't think I had anywhere to go.
2: Yeah, well, that's and that's part of the um, brainwashing, right, that they're doing is to make you think that those people are so against you. Knowing that, you know, if you had really been in your right mind, you could, you would have been able to say, they'll take me back. I can go see, say my mom and my sister, they'll take me back anytime. But I'm sure there was a lot of times where he was going look, they don't love you. They don't, they don't even come for you. Who comes for you? Did he say those kind of
3: things to you? Yeah, he definitely did. And he really used, he knew that I was ashamed that I didn't go get my volleyball scholarship. He knew I was Mm -hmm. embarrassed that I dropped out of high school and didn't have an education. And uh, he really used those insecurities against me. He also, he, he also turned it, you know, if you ever leave, if you ever tell anybody, I'll make it seem like this was what you were in with me, that you were cho- choosing this with me. And I was mortified of that. And especially as an 18 year old girl who really cared what people thought of her. And yeah. Um, so yeah. the 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 not going off and playing volleyball in college was enough to be embarrassed by. But now out the trafficking experience, the shame was so deep. And uh, I didn't tell anybody for six years what happened to me. I didn't get help wow. for six years. So. Wow. And how did you, how did you, I mean, how did you cope
2: for those six years?
3: You know, I, I, I had, I'd gotten away from him and I remarried and I had a son and we were, he was a Marine and we were stationed in Virginia. And so I kind of was able to get away and um, build a new life across the country, which was a huge help and becoming a mom and a, and being in a healthy marriage. But um I was definitely experiencing PTSD flashbacks mm-hmm. and nightmares and anxiety. And, um, I just became very good at stuffing it down and blocking mm-hmm. it out, um, mm-hmm. and pretending like everything was okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, finally six years after I was trafficked, I had a breakdown and I went to a mental hospital and I finally reached out for help and shared what happened to me. Wow. Isn't that crazy?
2: I, I've had a similar experience where you're just going along and going along, and you're stuffing it and stuffing it and you're doing what you got to do. And then your body just says no more. Like I'm, I, I don't care what you say you're going to do. Uh, I've had two anxiety, like full blown breakdown situations that have made me go, okay, I got to get a, I got to get a reality check here. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm pretty smart and I'm pretty, pretty resilient, but this thing has just taken me out. And, uh, so, wow. So, uh, I, so I can relate. Um, so, um, we're going to take a quick break because I want to go back even further. I want to go back to the beginning of when you first met your trafficker. I, cause I think it's important, especially with your story. There's a lot of people that are listening that have kids, um that are 16 17 years old and they're living in you know affluent neighborhoods and you know their kids are in school and you know they just they're just thinking oh well you know she's met a boy and and um i'm not i don't want to scare people but i just want people to be aware of you know the kinds of conversations we need to be having with our kids and the kinds of red flags that we should be aware of. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to hear some more from Jenna. And thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Don't go away. Love Never Fails Radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors.
5: This is Dr. Meluna Fausch. I am honored to serve on the advisory board of Love Never Fails, where each voice matters as lives are restored. Thank you for your support. Let's face it, you are making a pitch for something every day. Your verbal communication skills are the key to your professional and personal success. That's pitchperfectpresentations dot com. Pitchperfectpresentations.com.
1: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again are in the studio today with Jenna McKay and we are, she is a survivor of human trafficking and she's sharing with us the story of the beginning, really some details about the beginning so that we're aware of the red flags um, that um, as parents, as law enforcement, as uh, as healthcare providers, that we, uh, we should hone in on to uh, make sure that we're supporting uh, survivors that are right there in our community. And we were talking in the last segment about um, this—the uh, situation with her exploiter, who was, you know, eighteen, nineteen, and she was sixteen, seventeen, and they were both in high school. And. And um, he was able to um, first become connected to her. And later the relationship turned into one of exploitation. And so um, let's, let's go back to, so, so how, how were you connected in the very beginning and were there any red flags that you now know were red flags?
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, I met him when I was like 16 and he was in like some of my study hall classes and we, There was, like, hellos and stuff, but we never were friends or dating. And then it was my junior year that we um, started dating, but um, my dad really didn't want me to date. And so it was kind of in secret. I would sneak out and Mm -hmm. meet with him and things like that. And definitely when we were dating, there was red flags. But I think by by the time abusive patterns started my self-esteem got really low. Like I was always pretty confident because of sports, really. My whole life revolved around training for volleyball. But once I started to do less of that, um, I didn't really have much identity. Became very insecure. And when he started doing things, you know, like there was a time he cheated. I didn't just end the relationship. I would, I would be so relying on him for my security that i would stay with him and he would uh, break up with me and then make up with me and break up with me and make up with me and i think that if i had been educated more in high school and had were having adults talk to me about unhealthy relationships Mm -hmm. i would have seen how unhealthy that was um i also didn't have a really good example of a healthy relationship at home so i didn't really know the difference Mm -hmm. and um And during this time, your parents were going through a divorce, right? Yeah, they, my senior year, they were separating. And I Mm -hmm. remember asking my mom, I said, please don't leave dad. If you need to, I understand. But can you wait until after I graduate high school? Because I don't think I can handle this. And I, Mm -hmm. or wait till I'm done with my SAT tests or wait till I get my volleyball scholarship squared away. Um, But she left anyway. And I kind of felt lost in the mix of that. And I remember feeling really rebellious when I would get calls from family members about, Hey, don't drop out of high school. But nobody was calling me and talking about how, how is your parents' divorce and separation affecting you? How do you need us for this? And that really angered me. And I felt like, well, they only care about if I'm succeeding and you know, but it's not when I'm having problems. And, um,
2: yeah, and I so for of... the listening
3: audience, I just want to highlight
2: like one of the things that w- we're pretty passionate about here at LNF is um, process oriented mentoring as opposed to outcome oriented and outcome oriented mentoring and coaching is you want to win. Come on. This is how you win. Process oriented mentoring is just being present with people with no agenda in mind. Now I will tell you I am I'm it's very hard for me to be a process oriented mentor so I'm actually I'm not the right person for that I'm I'm too alpha I'm too I'm always working towards a goal I'm like what are we working on what are we working on so I'm not that kind of person but there are people in this world, bless their hearts. I mean, you know, I'm thinking of people like Laura Joe or like Laura Joe Stoops or, or, or Lynette Hunt. These are p- women that have come into our program that just sit with people, just listen, just eat with them, just hang out just ask hey how you feeling about your family how, hey have you checked in with your grandma lately hey and then your school might come up and it's like how you feeling about that and if it's like oh, i'm not going to school anymore oh that sucks okay how you feeling about that what do you you know and it's all about how they're feeling about it And so that's really important. And I hear, that's what I hear you saying, Jenna, would you agree that you really just needed somebody to just be with you, huh?
3: Just hang out. Yeah. Yeah. I had um, one teacher that pulled me aside after class. She saw that my grades were slipping and she recognized it and she talked to me about it and I broke down crying to her. Um, But one teacher, that's it. And I mean, I, you know, I'd been going to that school since kindergarten and um They knew who I was. I mean, here you have this girl that's been playing competitive volleyball since she was twelve years old, has a weight trainer playing travel, you know, you know she's trying to go to college, and all of a sudden she drops out of high school and moves in with a boy. There's a red flag there. What's going on with that?
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think too, the other pieces to your point earlier, they don't know what to do. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so what if she tells me she's using? Then what? What if she tells me he hit her. Then what? So sometimes it's ill. You feel ill-equipped. So let me go hide somewhere. I don't want to ask the hard questions because I wouldn't know what to do if they told me that something bad was happening.
3: Right? Did you feel like that's part yeah. of the reason? Oh yeah. And looking back now, I can see that nobody was really talking, and nobody, nobody. You know, all those professionals, medical staff, and law enforcement, and my school they wouldn't have known what to do. So there's grace there now where I understand that they had no idea how to respond. And um, yeah. But what would you tell them to do? You're, you're talking right
2: now to there's thousands of people that are potentially listening that are in this healthcare, that are teachers, that are doctors, that are law enforcement. What would you tell them? Well, specifically to the parents and the teachers that kind of were in your circle, family members, what would you tell
3: them to do? Yeah, I, uh, for me, I would have, wa- I was waiting for that. I really wanted them to reach out to me. I wasn't like full blown rebellion. Like I'm out of here. See you guys later. I just didn't know how to reach out for help. And even though I was 18, I was an adult. I was still a kid. I hadn't even, you know, I was still in high school. And for me, all it would have taken was one of them to come along and be like, Hey, you know, <laughs> whatever's going on, we can help you with that. And uh we can steer you back to your goals and get you back on track and we'll be here for you to help you. And we'll get you what you need, whether that's a therapist or whatever you need for me, that's it. That's all it would have taken. Somebody to just take that step and talk to me about it and say, we're going to help you. Cause once I felt like I was going off track, I didn't think I could. Once I moved in with him, I thought I was stuck and all, I mean, if somebody would have come to me and said, hey, Jenna, you can still go back and play college and, and go to college. I've been like, really? Because yeah. I was I, that was my dream. I wanted to do that. I didn't want to marry this guy. And um, um, and then, you know, for medical staff and like law enforcement. If they had been trained on the signs, every sign was there and I wasn't even being trafficked yet. I was it, I got arrested just before he started trafficking me but there was still signs of dr- trauma. And, um, you know, I had already had my branding by this point. And I remember sitting there in the, in the cell crying, and they sent a female officer in to talk to me. And that would have been a great opportunity to intervene. And, um, just with what that officer said to my trafficker, I wasn't going to talk to them. And I remember thinking, gosh, if they only knew who I was, that I was this kid that was, you know, I was a good kid just a few months ago and here I am stuck in a situation I need help out of. And he's the one who, you know, you'd probably be arresting him if you knew what he was doing. And, um, and really that just kind of basic human kindness, when you are being treated as an object and dehumanized daily, and you have somebody with a white coat or a gun on their hip that takes the time and sits down and looks you in the eye and shows you respect and listens to you. You know, they may not reach out for help right away, but it really does plant that seed to eventually reach out. Wow. Wow. So there you have it.
2: Uh, You got some really specific, uh, you know, suggestions on how you can intervene in at risk and, you know, currently exploited um, young people in your community. All right. We're going to come back. I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing curriculum wise. You're out there sharing um you know this information in a packaged format and I want people to know how they can uh, engage with you so we'll be right back and thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio
1: For more information on this program visit loveneverfailsus.com that's loveneverfailsus.com Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. Before I bring Jenna back on the line, I wanted to just take a moment to wish our founder, the founder of Abolition Radio. Um, so that was the original radio show that Love Never Fails, myself, um, hosted before we rebranded it as Love Never Fails. And that um, that show, Abolition Radio, was uh, started by dave Nederhood pastor dave Nederhood and um, dave as many of you know a few years back got into a, a pretty serious uh um, moped accident in um in um, indonesia and um he is still recovering from that accident um uh, just uh just over the last week, though, um, he had a his 54th birthday. And so I just want to wish you, Dave, a happy birthday from all of us at Love Never Fails and let you know that we're continuing to pray for you. And um, we sent him, uh, several of our Love Never Fails alumni made him a little video and um, we're just wishing him well. And so I wanted to acknowledge him on the radio show. So thank you, Dave. We're still doing your show. Um, Okay, so coming back, um, Jenna um, McKay is with us. She is a survivor of human trafficking and she's been telling about her courageous story of 14 years, really, of recovering from um, this experience of human trafficking as a teenager, as an 18-year-old, and, um, and the ways in which several people could have noticed the red flags and intervened, and even gracefully noting that they just didn't know. And so now she's dedicating herself to educating those populations about the red flags. And I think that is just so admirable, Jenna. And I wanted the listening audience to know about um, what it is you're doing, how someone, you know, how what kinds of groups you're currently educating. And then, of course, how people can get involved. So uh, what are you currently involved? Are you currently educating a, a hospital or law enforcement or what's going on?
3: Um, yeah. So, well, law enforcement, um, thankfully I was able to actually do, um, some trainings for my local law enforcement in July and August and, you know, safely do it in person, um, six feet apart and mask and all that. Uh, and it was really awesome because, you know, the feedback I got was, wow, it really does happen so many ways. I had no idea. And, uh, you know, I talk about labor trafficking and sex trafficking And um, kind of just go into, you know, a two hour training of awareness and all the ways that trafficking looks and how to respond with like victim centered care. And, um, you know, they say it takes eight to 12 contacts for a victim of trafficking to finally reach out to law enforcement and Mm. feel safe enough to open up and share with them. And I'm like, it's got to take less contacts than that. So how do we do that? And, and then hospital staff, um, I do a lot with dignity health. Um, they have a human trafficking program, um, you know, training medical staff and, and, um, pretty much anybody at the hospital. Like there's been the security guards are there and, and the front desk and admissions, like everybody should be trained on it. And, um, And then I just got hired with um, the United Nations has an organization called uh, the Global Strategic Operatives and they train medical staff. So I'll be doing their trainings and I'm starting to learn them. And some of them, you know, there's the there's the awareness one. That's the two hour awareness and what is trafficking and how to respond. But then there's the trauma one, like all into the trauma and, and the effects that trafficking has on victims and the physical and mental effects and uh, and then international trafficking as well. Normally I just talk about domestic trafficking right here and what it looks like in America, but kind of learning to educate on trafficking all over the world. So that's wonderful. Well, I I think it's um,
2: just wonderful that you're doing that. I love dignity health. They have so many um, Dr. Ron, um, yeah. Over there and, and Jen, yeah, Chambers and uh, Jen, Jennifer, um, they're amazing. And I'm glad, so glad that they're engaging with you to, um, you know, uh, have you share these important details with the clinical staff there. Um, we'd love to invite you to join us with a couple of other engagements that we're talking about doing maybe at Kaiser and at Sutter Health. Um uh, in, in the, uh, areas. So, um, be looking out for uh, some communication awesome. on that, because uh, I think it's so important that, um, we bring a diversity of experiences and perspectives on those red flags. And the one that you are bringing forth here is one that is often overlooked, you know, again, you know, the, just the way that, um, you were in high school and so on a lot of the time there's this other stereotype that people are looking for so that's really helpful i think just thinking about you back then the other thing that is happening is uh we're in the process of doing some education with saint mary's with their sports programs and um and i think that could be really interesting um, to have you talk from that end because um, I've heard this over and over again that there's this sort of this, you know, there's a few things that happen with student athletes um, when they're transitioning from um, high school to uh, college and also out of college. There's a few things that happen with student athletes that, and, and there, it's interesting. It's something I never considered, which is there's a vulnerability there that you experience when you're a student athlete. What does that mean? Number one, I heard you saying there's a pressure you feel to um, to choose the right place, to know what you want to do, to know where you want to go, to be good enough, to be recruited. Did you get D1? Did you get D2, D3? Are you going to get a scholarship? All of that. Right. So there's a huge, tremendous amount of pressure. And then and then the second thing is, if you decide that you don't want to, uh, maybe you want to start school and not go to college. Then you feel like a loser, you know, there's, I've, I've heard that, you know, you feel like you're, you're, you've, you know, you've, you've, you're not following forward with your, what you're capable of. And then thirdly, the people that go through college, but they don't play professional ball. You know, and I would imagine it's very similar with military, too. When you come out of the military, it's like you've been purposed to do this one thing and your whole identity is wrapped up in that one thing. And now it's not there anymore. And now that's a perfect time for a predator to come in and say, let me give you a new identity. Am Is this resonating with you? Is that kind of?
3: Yeah. 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 100%. Cause I was slowly kind of drifting from volleyball when I was dating him and really not taking it as seriously. And, uh, that's when I really became vulnerable to him and insecure and, um, not the confident athlete anymore, but, um, really just, uh, you know, a victim already with him and, uh, vulnerable to anything and not knowing that that kind of stuff could happen to me, and not knowing what to do, it made me very vulnerable, and, and that's what traffickers, you know, we know prey on.
2: And it's interesting too, because no one would think that someone who is that has that much confidence, who's getting scholarships and who's athletic, is having a self esteem issue that some, uh, an exploiter can prey on. But if you have, you know, for me, I was extremely wrapped up in the arts. And like you, if I wasn't involved in an artistic um, production, I was out with, you know, boys and, you know, they were doing drugs and I was smoking and I was drinking and I was doing all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I think it's it, it's absolutely something we should be more aware of with our youth, it's like if they are doing well in something and they start to fade from it. Or even doing well in it. It's not all of who you are. Do, being a star volleyball player is not your identity. It happens to be something you're good at. It's not the value of who you are as a person. <laughs> you know, you got me thinking here, Jenna. You got me thinking. This is good stuff. Um, I'm so appreciative of you. Okay, we're going to have to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about things that are going on in the community and ways that people can connect with you and um, with other things that Love Never Fails is doing. So we'll be right back, and thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Don't go away. Love Never Fails Radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors.
5: That's pitchperfectpresentations dot com. Pitchperfectpresentations
1: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again have been in the studio today with Jenna McKay, who is a survivor who has overcome uh, the, tr- the difficulties of human trafficking and is now an advocate, a leader, and is in telling her, li- telling her life story that others might have the opportunity to break away sooner and or prevent... Uh, people from being trafficked at all. So um, how might people get in touch with you, Jenna, if they're interested in connecting with you and, and, you know, engaging with your curriculum? Um,
3: you can, uh, the website, it's jennamckay.com. It's um, McKay, M-C-K-A-Y-E. Um, and my contact information is on there. And you can also kind of read more about what I'm doing. And there's some interviews, um, sharing more in depth of my story and um, that are on there. But also we talk about like uh, we have the Jenna McKay foundation and one of the big things we focus on is horse therapy and it's something that was helpful in my healing. So when I started to, you know, work with victims, I'm like, Hmm, what is something that I can get them into here? And so we provide the funding for them to go to a certified horse therapist and it man, it's my, one of my favorite things. You know, you hear what a survivor's been through, and then see her up smiling on a horse. It's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. We have um, uh, we have done some work with Hearts Landing in up in the Sacramento area and uh, Ranch Hearts Landing Ranch and another one but anyway just uh like, as you mentioned also i think new day for children uh, had at one time um they had a, a um a, squ- a square um trauma uh, yeah. uh or um program and so um really um love that you're doing that um Okay. So there you have it. It's Jenna McKay.com. I just went over there and, um, it was, uh, it's a beautiful site and, um, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenna for support and, uh, Engage on this important topic. Other things that are going on in the community, unfortunately, as you all know, we've all moved into purple status, pretty much every county in the state, and uh, maybe five remaining that are still in orange or uh, red, perhaps. But anyway, um, we are um, continuing to keep our store open because we already had the procedures in place. Um, So our store is still open at 22580 Grand Street in Hayward, so come on by. We're open from 12 to 5 p.m. However, we're not Receiving donations at this time, um, and so please come and patronize. Uh, we have survivor leaders working there that are regaining their their lives, and then also you can um, um, see what we've got online, which is at store s t o r e dot love never fails us dot com. We actually have a watch party that we're going to be doing with polka dot women um, coming up on the thirtieth. So uh, Monday the thirtieth. So you're definitely going to want to uh, check that out. We have some very nice things going on. So that's going to be off of our love never fails store Facebook page. And so please um, make sure you like that page. It is the Love Never Fails Community Store um, on Facebook. And again, that's where the watch party will come forth. Um, we also are um, continuing our IT Academy classes. Um, and I'm really excited. Um, we're about, about to graduate 20 students from our Google IT class. So um, uh, we'll be doing a new enrollment come January. So if you're interested, in participating in Google IT, um, please, and it doesn't matter what state you're in, doesn't matter, you know, what country you're in, we'll take um, anyone for our self-paced classes, our Google IT classes um, are grant funded. So we would just need to have a discussion about um, where you are, um, but those uh, where you are and how we can... Create some some creative scholarship program for you to enroll in the Google IT instructor led classes. But for self study, please sign up. It's loveneverfailsus.com dot com forward slash it biz. And, you know, you might be saying, well, why IT? Well, IT is one of the most stable and sustainable industries, even throughout the pandemic. And so we want to make sure that we connect survivors and other um, uh, vulnerable community members, homeless, veterans, um, re-entry, uh, foster youth, anyone who might be susceptible to human trafficking. We want to connect you, low income, unemployed. We want to connect you to an industry that will provide you long-term financial sustainability. So go ahead and sign up today, com forward slash it biz. And then lastly, uh, we want to just encourage you to uh, keep us in prayer. We have just opened up our men's home um, on November 1st. We've had our first couple, husband and wife in there, and we're, we're going to be getting some more uh, young men, some transitional age men in there. Um, and we also have our children's home that is open for girls 13 to 17. So if you want to refer into either, you can reach out to Elani, E-L-I-N-A E-L-A-N-I at us.com And she will go ahead and do an intake. Um, we are full in our women's home, women and children's home. So whew, full, full, full. Um, and um, so just... Uh, trying to provide as much support as we can Um, but please do keep our two new homes in your prayers and of course if you haven't heard it before or if you need to hear it again we want to make sure that you know that you are loved
1: thanks for joining us this week on love never fails radio